You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today as a guest speaker, we have Ashish Badia, software engineer and active angel investor and an advisory board member of five different startups. And in this episode, we'll talk about first-time entrepreneurs specifically, what kind of mistakes are they prone to making, what kind of decisions are good, especially in terms of early-stage fundraising, and how Ashish sees the early-stage fundraising going for those first-time entrepreneurs. So, Ashish, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself. Well, uh, thank, thanks a lot. For, um, I would say, Constantine, thanks a lot for uh, inviting me to the show. I'm uh, happy to share my experience and uh my uh, what I've observed in the process. Uh, short intro for myself, I would say, uh, uh, being a software engineer all along in my career, have done angel investing uh, as as a hobby, as something which I do on the side, been invested in about 40 startups at this point, starting from about 2014, when I made my first investment, uh, have about uh, eight exits, nothing big, nothing 100x yet, still waiting for that big chance, <laughs> uh, that big shot. Uh, and uh, uh, as as you said, uh, sitting on uh, advisory board primarily as a technical advisor to or five different startups at this point. Um, so uh, and these days I'm uh, not working full time, just working on or working full time on my own ideas rather than being employed elsewhere. Uh, so just working on some of my own ideas right now. Um, that's uh, all from my side. Nice quick background. I love those. So yeah, let's start it off by uh, talking a little bit about the standard questions. I ask this question pretty much every single investor that comes up on fundraising radio, which is, you know, as an angel investor, what do you like to invest in, in terms of field, stage, and average check size? It, it has evolved a bit over time uh, on different dimensions. I would say uh, check size, I think everyone has their own constraints, primarily coming from uh, uh, their own uh, some some people are doing personal funds uh, like me uh, are investing out of their personal funds. So in my case, check size is uh, between 10 to 25K. Uh, some of those who have raised uh, external funds, I think they end up doing much larger check size depending on the fund size anywhere, but their minimums end up being anywhere between uh, 25K to you know 500K or even a million dollar. In terms of uh, state size, uh, I would say my preference is always uh, doing early stage. Uh, ideally, post-revenue, uh, not pre-revenue, but I'm open to both. Uh, where I'm investing, uh, ideally the first or at max the second check in uh, in, in 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 a startup. That that sort of is uh, the stage I come and invest in. Um, in terms of uh, what areas I look at, I think that has evolved over time with the uh, uh, as as I've gone through this journey, as I've learned my own lessons, I think uh, there are areas which are, I think, pretty good and pretty great. I'll say like pharmaceuticals, but I understand nothing about those areas. I dabbled into it. I spent some time looking into it. And then I realized any entrepreneur in pharmaceutical or even in medical devices space can tell me practically anything. And it's very hard for me to uh, figure out what's the state of art or cushion them back given my lack of knowledge of that space so over time i have confined myself to like you know my uh area of competence primarily around 
in in terms of you know in B2B side primarily around SaaS uh, targeted right from you know productivity to uh, uh, data storage and these kind of things. So uh, the full the full range of thing on B2B side where software is sort of the heavy component, and on uh, consumer side, I have I think a fair bit of experience and exposure to uh, consumer internet given uh, my past employments at WhatsApp and Facebook. So uh, uh, that's sort of another area which I look for in terms of investment perspective. From time to time, there are new opportunities in social media space. There's new opportunity in messaging space. And uh, there are opportunities of like taking some of these experiences from the consumer internet back towards more towards the professional side of things. So those are sort of uh, the areas I keep thinking about uh, and uh, and, I'm ex- uh, and I'm excited about. In general, um, sorry, in general, I would say one, one key thing which I really like is how can you use software to uh, simplify and automate uh, things in life? I, I know mm-hmm. it's somewhat broad, broad but uh, I think, uh, that something is the core theme I think across when I'm uh, thinking about investments. This is perfect. And yes, this is perfect description of very much. I feel like all the investing that I'm personally interested in as well, just like, like how do you automate stuff? How do you not do any manual work whatsoever? I absolutely love this topic. So let's talk just a little bit more about the stuff that you've learned or that you've seen in the past you know, six years, because you've started investing in 2014, first as a hobby, you know, uh, part-time. And you know, through this six, more like seven years now, since it's 2021 now, what are the major changes that you've seen in the startup field in general? So what is the you know thing that you're looking back in 2014 and comparing it to what you're seeing now? What's the major thing? What's the major difference that you see there? I think um, quite a few trends have uh, occurred in the meanwhile, I would say. Uh, and, and those are also correlated with... Uh, availability of uh, or the other changes in underlying technology i think uh, overall engineering has become easier uh, it has become over time i think easier to build things test things test your ideas deploy them it has become easier to uh, uh, charge people be it you know through uh, 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 through app stores or be it through you know uh, much more standardized payment solutions, uh, which you can easily embed like Stripe payments and all that. So uh, one key, I think one key outcome of all of that is that uh, SaaS has emerged as one key major trend where rather than selling software, you're selling software as a service, as a subscription, and the payment rather than being one time is uh, is a recurring payment. Uh, that I, I would say is one major key theme uh, on, on, on the enterprise side, uh, on the consumer side, it does seem like that, you know, uh, for, for a while, uh, uh, consumer internet sort of like disappeared and the, now it is slowly reappearing where uh, the target is not to build a mass market product, where the target is to build a focused product on very specific set of users like you know your target market might be like only 10 to 100 million users but you think you can really monetize that really really well so some of those uh, uh, products i think are emerging now over time mm-hmm. very true and very much agree with you here so uh this is the question that i haven't asked for 
quite some time and I've got a few complaints from my listeners. And now I'm going to start asking it once again to pretty much all of my uh, investor speakers. So where do you get most of your deals from? So how can a founder get into your vision without actually reaching out to you? So yeah, I think it's, it's, it's complicated. I think, uh, uh, I think uh, it's uh, every investor has their own uh, approach to getting a good mm-hmm. deal flow. I think uh, ranging from, uh, I, I would say for, for me specifically, I would say there are three sort of sources. One is direct reach outs on LinkedIn. This I would say is uh, has a very uh, low signal to noise ratio. The noise is just, it's, it's just too noisy. Yeah. But I do look at uh, those direct reach outs from time to time. Uh, the second uh, with a slightly higher signal to noise ratio is uh, events. Uh, I, I do get invited to different events as a uh, as as a judge or as a panelist, and uh, I think given that there is some vetting going on, it it leads to slightly higher signal to noise ratio in terms of uh, coming across uh, uh, startups, and I think the best one uh, and that and this one has the highest signal to noise ratio, but this is relatively rare enough, which is. Uh, or I would say infrequent enough. I, I only get a few deals a year like this, which is uh, through my network, which is someone in my network, someone I really I know uh, really well. That person is making an investment and they reach out to me and they say, mm-hmm. well, would you like to participate? Would you like to uh, be a co-investor? Or uh, would you help us do a diligence of this? Uh, I, in, I, I work with a few VCs on an informal basis uh, where... I do tech diligence for them, mm-hmm. and in return, I get a chance to co-invest uh, with them on the same terms. Uh, if you know, if uh, they decide to proceed and do an investment. Nice, that's cool. I personally love this kind of partnerships, and yes, more and more of those are actually appearing. And this is this is just great, you know, involving uh, smaller checks. Um, angel investors into VCs. I feel like that's a big trend. It's going somewhere. To the right place <laughs> so uh my next question was actually how can founders get in touch with you but you've kind of answered this um quick follow-up on that uh what has any founder has any founder reached out to you in really weird form so i have uh, has it ever happened to you that you know a founder just approached you in a public place like kind of a bar or some other place and just started pitching you their idea or something like that yeah, I think occasionally that has happened too. I think, uh, uh, and and I'm I'm not a big fan of those kind of settings because, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, I I think the the act, the act of uh, uh, raising an investment is an act of selling, and I think it's uh, best to do it with a more explicit intent in a more explicit setting like you're meeting someone. Well, there are no physical events happening at this point; they are all virtual. Which is you're meeting someone at an uh, at a pitching event or something, and then someone introduces themselves and they start pitching. That's perfectly okay. I go in there knowing that a lot of people would be engaging in the act of selling. Mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, outside of that, uh, I'm not a fan of that uh, sneaky approach, uh, you know, sometimes where people uh, reach out and say, I just want your uh, uh, opinion or feedback on the product. Then I know deep down they want money. So... <laughs> I say, you know, why don't you just say you want an investment, uh, and and then I'll look into it and I'll say whether I would invest or not, and uh, at least we'll have a productive conversation. It's not that you're going to somehow sneakily convince me 
to write a check. <laughs> uh, that, that that just never happens. It's not a great use of your time. Yeah, for example, if you if uh, you know if the if there's a startup that is based out of a, of of an area where I have like little understanding. Let's say you know a startup based out of Japan. I think great country. I just don't know the ecosystem in Japan enough to make uh, uh, to to easily make a direct investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if if you know and and uh, this happened right last month, someone reached out and uh, I I told them that just just say explicitly that you want an investment. And I'm sorry, I I don't understand the ecosystem well enough to consider an investment. And I don't think it's the best use of your time to uh, spend time pitching to someone like me who is almost certain not to make an investment in your startup. Mm-hmm. Very true. And yeah, that, that there is a saying like, uh, if you ask for money, you'll get feedback. If you ask for feedback, you'll get money. I used to believe in that. And now I've like recently I've changed my mind because I just don't feel like it's working. If you ask for feedback and then slowly but surely you're trying to, you know, steer the person into investing in your company, they definitely, they definitely feel that. So <laughs> that's not, as you said, you know, it's, it's, it feels like a sneaky way of raising money. And that's, that's just not cool. So yeah, I think, uh, you're right. I've heard the same uh, saying too. And I think that saying might not be fully incorrect, but I think yeah. that saying is probably more relevant when you're talking to uh uh, big VCs who are going to cut a uh, 500k or a million dollar check uh, in in your startup. So in that case, you know, if you're even if you're reaching out for advice, and uh, uh, there is a little chance that they might it might convert into an investment, and if that happens, you know, that's pretty great. Uh, like uh, you converted a small opportunity uh, into something big, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't think this is the right strategy when you're approaching. Checks ranging from twenty five thousand dollars to hundred thousand dollars. You will end up spending uh, a lot more time uh, for for not so clear ROI, in my opinion. Sure, sure, sure. You gotta be careful. Everything is very individual. Every single fundraise is unique. So look at your specific situation. Try to think of pros and cons. Uh, you know, make a list of pros and cons if that helps you. Uh, but definitely, you know, think about it before you do something. So now let's talk actually about mistakes that founders frequently make. So you've seen a ton and ton of early stage startups. Uh, what do you think is the most common mistake that especially first-time entrepreneurs do while starting a company? Uh, while starting or while fundraising? Uh, um, let's do while fundraising because it's you know, okay. fundraising radio. <laughs> Got it. Okay, so I think... Uh, so, so I end up mostly uh, interacting with founders who are doing fundraising for the first time in their life. And I think it's mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's hard and complicated first time. I think second time fundraising becomes uh, hard and uh, simple. So it, 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 it remains hard, but I think it, it becomes simple uh, during, when you're doing it for the second or the third time. First time, I think you don't know how to like really go about it. And uh, uh, I think one sort of mistake which founders make is I think they end up like starting from uh, or pitching to the best ones, to the best companies they or or to the best firms uh, they want investment from. And I don't think that's a great idea. You, you shouldn't want to like start from the top of your list because your pitch is going to refine a lot over time. So one good strategy is uh, create a list of, you know, let's say 25 or 30 uh, target VCs and angels you want to raise money from. Don't start from the top of the list. Start from the bottom of the list. Start from the 
least desirable angel or VC uh, in your list. Okay, don't don't let them know that they are the least desirable, but start from the bottom so that your pitch refines as you go more towards the top. Uh, you have one pitching opportunity to someone uh, in in like a year or two. Uh, when when a when an angel or a VC says no, uh, most likely you won't get another chance to uh, uh, pitch to them the same thing for another year or two. So uh, don't uh, uh, miss on that opportunity. So like you know, if your if your first pitch is to Sequoia, probably not the best idea. You're you're gonna fumble and you're gonna most likely not get the funding. Mm-hmm. 100% that's a common strategy that a lot of people ignore. They're like, you know, oh, I've been following this in VC for two years. I know them pretty well. Uh, you know, I know what they're up to. I know how they think. So I'll just get started with them. No, <laughs> uh, definitely just uh, follow Ashish's advice here. You know, reach out to investors who are least likely to invest, but who are still open to a meeting, pitch them, practice, get used to talking to VCs, like actually talking to them and having a normal conversation. Once you get used to this, once you you know stop swaying on those means, then yeah, reach out to those bigger VCs that you really want to see on your cap table. And then most likely it's just gonna go real smooth. <laughs> so uh, speaking of, uh, ah, tried to make a nice transition here, but no, it, it did not happen. <laughs> so <laughs> let's just move on to the next question and talk about mistakes that first time founders make while actually starting the company, not fundraising, but actually, you know, running their companies. What do you think is the most common, most standard mistake that pretty much all founders do? I think uh, uh, th- th- there can be probably be a whole list, but I would say <laughs> one 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 key thing which I think just happens more often than not is uh, getting a bit too lost in the mechanics. Okay, uh, uh, figuring out whether I need an LLC or an SCOP, figuring out should I register in California or should I register in Delaware figuring out uh, spending too much time trying to think through uh, uh, the, the legal structure or trying to you know spend too much time uh, getting the unnecessary pieces right which you know you could have gotten right uh, much later in the game anyways uh, I guess one core thing I think which really matters uh, to an early stage investor or I think I would say even the success of a founder at for a founder as well, which is figuring out and validating the idea as quickly as possible and verifying uh, and, and getting that traction piece in that proves that, you know, your idea is worthwhile and, and worth pursuing. Uh, uh, I have seen cases where founders have spent, unfortunately spent six months, six to 12 months pitching and even sometimes succeeding in fundraising only to realize that the idea they were working on uh, doesn't have legs on its own. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the product market fit is just not there. And I think the product market fit is the hardest part and the hardest thing to get uh, right. And and, and you, you don't see that at later stage because most of these companies uh, unfortunately fail right at the early stage. So by the time you it's meet startup with, uh, who are in the later stages, they have already figured out at least some semblance of product market fit, if not a proper product market fit. True. This is very true. And that's actually extremely unfortunate. And I mean, there are multiple tools that help you, you know, create a company, you know, figure out if you need an LLC, if you need a C Corp, if you need to establish it in Delaware, or if you need to, you know, establish it in your home on your home turf. So, you know, in the state where you live. 
And all this is done pretty much automatically. It takes, I don't know, half an hour, two hours max. And and I've seen people spend like 5,000 on this stuff and then they're like, oh, shush, uh, spend my budget on this. Uh, so yes, uh, definitely good advice, definitely common mistake. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can spend an hour on this or you can spend days reading about yep. this topic. It, it, I think it's it can just look, uh, uh, so, sometimes it, it, it looks easy uh, compared to, you know, product market fit is a harder thing. So it's easy to get distracted towards something that looks easy and uh, gives you a higher dopamine hit compared to uh, something which is a, a, a much more difficult thing. Very true. Dopamine gain, gain dopamine is extremely important, of course, but, you know, it, it's it's fake dopamine in this particular case. You feel like, you know, you've accomplished something by creating the LLC, you know, by establishing all this stuff, and it's not that big of a deal. So, uh, by the way, on this note, I'll make sure to leave a link to one of those, you know, automatic uh, company creation tools in the description of this episode. I interviewed the founder myself and the company is really cool. So check it out. If you're having problems with the, you know, starting your company from the legal perspective, definitely check the description of this episode. It's going to be there. So now let's talk about uh, your advisory role. So you are an advisory board member of five different startups. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing there? Yeah, I think, uh, and I I would make a generic remark regarding advisors as such, which is that uh, f- uh, look at your founding team and see what skill set uh, you are either missing or you want to have someone to uh, uh, ideate on. So uh, uh, you can have, you know, if, if you think uh, that uh, one of the key aspects for your startup to succeed is sales, and uh, you have a founder who is good at sales, but wants to have an advisor to wants to have another person to uh, bounce ideas off of to have a sounding board, then get a sales advisor. Uh, in the same way, if your uh, startup is thinking that having another tech person on the team, another person on the team with whom you can ideate, you can bounce off tech ideas, then get a tech advisor. And uh, that that's where I come in, where I tell, you know, when startups reach out to me, I tell them that, uh, I, 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 you can probably easily find uh, a person who can help you with uh, uh, sales or marketing. Easily find a person better than me. Sorry, uh, but uh, I think I'm fairly <laughs> confident that if you want to ideate, debate, uh, or find a sounding board, find a person with whom you can uh, debate tech ideas. Then I'm fairly confident that you can uh, use me as a resource. Uh, so, so that's where I come in, where I usually help the CTO and the product team mm-hmm. uh, with 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 those ideations. And and I tell them that you know I'm not going to provide you any magic. What I'm going to tell you in an hour long meeting, you can probably easily figure out on your own in next few months. So uh, uh, the the question is, do you want to cut short that time, uh, use my experience, or do you want to learn? And figure these things out on your own. There is no magic here. You can figure these things out on your own as well. It's it's just going to cost you some time. It's always like that, honestly. I mean, you can learn literally any freaking thing that you want, but sometimes you know, having one-on-one conversation with someone experienced in the field can save you like days and days of pure research. So, if you have an option to find someone who can just you know give you some genuine advice, definitely reach out to them. Definitely try to you know get their advice instead of you know wasting your time on the internet. All right, now that we've covered the advisory role, let's talk a lot more about unicorns and investing in those unicorns. So you mentioned on our pre-interview call, you mentioned that uh, you believe that some fields are just 
more prone basically to giving birth to those unicorns. Can you t tell us about you know, what, what you believe those fields are and what do you think are the fields that are you know, not likely to produce any unicorn startups? Oh man, <laughs> that's it, it's it's always hard thing, you know. I I, yeah. I I say I say a few things today, and you know, three four years from now, I'm proven completely wrong, and then people <laughs> look back and say, you know, how wrong you were, Ashish, on these. <laughs> you know so, what? You know what? If you're gonna be wrong, I'll go back and personally delete this part of the episode, and then republish it, and then 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 everyone will be like, he he knew he knew. So go okay. for it. <laughs> thank thank you very much for that. Uh, so yeah, uh, I would say. Uh, some fields i think uh, uh are are just like huge uh, relatively speaking i think uh, and and the question is how do you capture more of more of the market in those areas of course uh, uh pharmaceuticals which which i don't invest in i think is a great example i think uh, big companies huge companies are created in that uh another i would say uh area which uh, you know i like looking at which is in terms of like enterprise, enterprise spending or uh, enterprise spending on various uh, technology gadgets, uh, and and I'm I'm using the term broadly, uh, like ranging from hardware to software, uh, ranging from software for day-to-day -day use, uh, like a better CRM for sales, to uh, data lake softwares. I think those spendings are not only huge but are growing as you know more and more of the world gets digitized so i think that's uh definitely uh, a huge market in my opinion that's i think is a market where you can definitely e uh, create uh unicorns i i wouldn't say it's easy but i think it's definitely doable uh compared to that on the other hand uh there are markets uh i i would say like you know Ed tech in the United States looks like a market where it's it, it just somehow is not big enough. It's just hard to uh, get huge revenues or build a huge uh, company, a, a unicorn in say ed tech space. I think I think it's a great space from a social impact perspective, from a value add to society perspective. But uh, it, it's just hard to build uh, build something in uh, educational technology, which can end up being uh, uh, huge, uh, which can end up being a unicorn. True, true. I here I disagree with you. EdTech, I think it's huge. It's growing. I believe that it's one of those fields that will actually produce a massive amount of unicorns, and we'll see. We'll see who's right now. <laughs> now I'm curious to see who who is right here. Uh, but now that we've covered all of this, let's move on to the last question of today's episode, and it's going to be a call to action. So, Ashish, what do you want the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? Uh, and I presume by listener, you mean someone who is a startup founder? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I would say uh, uh, if, you know, uh, one thing uh, which I would say to, to an early stage startup founder, someone who hasn't raised any funds or who has raised some funds, some uh, friends or family round, I think would be really useful is to figure out the product market fit part, which is, uh, do you have a product market fit? And uh, if you don't, how can you get to that as quickly as possible? E eliminate everything else from your uh, startup journey and focus fully on just getting that product market fit and i think uh in 
while going in that journey, I think it's easier. It, it becomes easier when you're more aligned on that journey to uh, mm-hmm. uh, do fundraisers. That's one thing I would really recommend uh, early stage startup founders. Perfect. Yeah, great call to action. I will recommend everyone listening to this episode, checking out the description of this episode. I'll leave a link to Ashish's LinkedIn. I'll also leave to a link to something else, I think. There was something else that we mentioned. Oh, okay. I will also leave a link to the tool that will help you actually, you know, start your own company in terms of legal structure, in terms of, you know, uh, creating the uh, structure that's suitable for investors specifically, understanding all these topics, and also a link to something else, most likely. I'll check back with Ashish to see if there is anything else he wants to include in the description, but whatever is going to be, check out the description of this episode. There is going to be something good. So do that. And as usually, have a good day.